Good morning, good morning, and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a Vision for You Big Book Study. My name is Monica T., and I am a recovered compulsive overeater. And today is Friday, the 8th day of May, 2015. And today we are reading from the big book. We are in the chapter, Into Action, and we are on page 82, and we will be beginning with the second paragraph. And today's readers are 12 Steps, Angie, 12 Traditions, Amy W. Our text readers are Anita J., Kathleen W., Alice M., and Charles H. And the share code for yesterday, Thursday, the 7th day of May, is 7534. 7534. OA Preamble, Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who, through shared experience, strength, and hope, are recovering from compulsive overeating, we welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. This meeting's primary purpose is to abstain, to recover from compulsive overeating, and to carry this message of recovery to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose, OA's fifth tradition states, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At a Vision for You Big Book study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and the 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. And I will now ask Angie to read the 12 steps for us, please. Star one to unmute, Anne. Thank you. Good morning, everyone. This is Angie, recovering compulsive overeater from Colorado. One, we admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood God. Four, made a surging and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, sorry, admitted to God to ourselves and to another human being, the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly ask God to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. 10. Continued to take personal inventory and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. 11. Sought through prayer meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood God, praying only for knowledge of God's will for us and the power to carry that out. 12. Having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, we tried to carry the message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Thank you for the opportunity to do service. Thank you, Ann. Thank you, Angie. I will now ask Amy W. to read the 12 traditions. 
Good morning, Monica. Good morning, everyone. This is Amy W., Compulsive Overeater from California, the 12 Traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. Number one, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever nonprofessional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Ten, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues, hence the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. Eleven, our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, films, television, and other public media of communication. And 12, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all these traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Thank you for the opportunity to service, and I pass. Thank you, Amy W. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing, and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinent requirement for moderators is one year, and for readers, the six months. There is no abstinent requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star 1 to unmute. And once you're done sharing, let us know by saying pass. Then press star 1 to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone except the speakers, should be muted. And today, we are resuming our study of the big book. We are in the chapter, Into Action. We are on page 82, the second paragraph. That begins, if if we have no such complication. And I will ask Anita J. to begin reading, please. Thank you, Monica. This is Anita J., a recovered, a grateful recovered compulsive overeater in Massachusetts. Thank you all for listening and all who are doing service. If we have no such complications, there is plenty we should do at home. Sometimes we hear an alcoholic say that the only thing he needs to do is to keep sober. Certainly he must keep sober, for there will be no home if he doesn't but he is yet a long way from making good to the wife or parents whom for years he has so shockingly treated. 
passing all understanding as the patients, mothers and wives, have had with alcoholics. Had this not been so, many of us would have had no homes today, would perhaps be dead. You know what? I I used to read this and um, only focus on what what wouldn't have happened, which would have been I probably wouldn't be dead. Um, but I want to say that this program has shown me on much more subtle ways the harm I did, my husband, my kids, um, my father and mother. So let me just tell you one thing that my husband had said to me. And um, it was when I was impatient, when I was being irritable and discontented, didn't even know why. And I said, oh, say something meaningful, will you? And he said, I miss you when you're not really here. And that summed me up. When all I wanted was for everybody to go to bed or get out of the house, I was waiting to come alive. My version of coming alive. Getting all the stash and eating and eating and eating so I could go to bed, wake up in the morning, and start this wonderful persona I put as the president of the PTA, as everybody's good friend, party, funny, all that stuff. And then at night, I'd have to go back and do this all over again. That's just one of the ways. You know, they're the obvious things. I'm sorry, you know, to my son that I wished him dead when he took the last turkey leg. I used to have a thing on dark meat turkey. I now can't even eat it. It's just um, so far my God is saying to me, Anita, enough with the dark meat turkey. But the thing is, there's so many other ways. Once we become willing to see who we really are and who we could become, I am there for my friend, my family now. Now it's uh, they're not in the home, but I'm here for their children, and it's it's a totally different world when you are in recovery. Everybody should take a dive into it because you'll be surprised. Fear kept me away, you know, and I didn't even know that. Fear that I was going to find out what I always suspected that there was nothing inside me or a dark, dark secret, some awful, awful thing. And guess what? I am just like everybody else, no better or no worse. That's the best news I ever heard. But I only heard it when I cleared up, when I crossed the bridge from abstinence to recovery. And uh, thank you all, and with that I pass. Thank you, Anita J. And who would like to share on this con- on this paragraph? Hi, I would like to share. This is Mary G. Mary G. Go ahead. Hi, um, this is my first time talking on this um, wonderful, wonderful thing. I'm Mary, and I am a uh, I have a problem with food. <laughs> I'm, um, anyhow, this 
I, I'm struggling to find abstinence. I did have a period of six years of abstinence at one time in my life, and it was the best I've ever been in my life. And um, this paragraph, I was talking to my husband the other day because I'm listening to meetings and I'm talking to people on the phone and <clears throat> I'm doing some praying meditation. And and I said, I've really got, I told my husband, I said, I really have to get, I have to get back. I have to get abstinent again. Um, I said, it's weird, but I feel like my mother sometimes. My mother was uh, a chronic, chronic drunk, and she died that way. And um, and I said, I feel that way with the food. And um, I didn't go into detail with him, but he said to me, he said, well, I don't, I don't really see anything. I, I don't see what, you know, how it's affecting like that, like a drunk would, you know, and I, and I, I know he doesn't want to understand. He can't understand, but inside I was like, Oh my gosh, I don't, I don't pay the bills consistently. I mean, they get paid because he picks up my slack, but it's like things in my life are chaotic. At least maybe it's no, I know it's not just in my mind. Um, and he doesn't understand. But I guess like what this paragraph reminds me of are the things that I'm not doing that when food takes over, nothing else matters. Nothing else matters. I'm like in a coma and I just trudge through my life. And um, the food has an all power. It's all I think about. What I'm going to eat, what I'm going to eat, what I'm going to eat around, not eat around. I can't eat this around them, and I can't eat that around them, and like wanting to be by myself so I can eat the way I want to eat, and being crabby to people when they're in my way when I'm trying to do that type of stuff, I still relate to. Um, so I just wanted to share this morning. I feel like I need to share. So I'm so glad you all are here, and thank you so much for your service. And that's all I have. Thank you. Thank you, Mary Jean. Charles. Sally? And anybody else? Okay, hold on. Charles, Sally, anybody else? <laughs> Larry. Larry, Melissa, C. I hear. Anybody else? Okay, this is what I got Charles, Sally, Larry, and Melissa C. We'll start with that. Charles, you're up, and then Sally. Charles, star one. Hi, Monica. Good morning. It's Charles H. Uh from New York, covered visionary. And I was going to be like everybody else and wait for, you know, the alcoholic is like a tornado, but I already knew. I already, ahead of time, I already knew I was a tornado. I just want to drill down on, there's no coincidence. Um, first of all, I want to, there's no coincidence that we're here in this part of the big book, um, the patients, mothers, and wives. First of all, I want to, I want to say, I want to say ahead of time, by faith, right, happy Mother's Day's, Happy Mother's Day to all, all those, all those that have a mother, and all those that mothers um, are have transitioned. Um, you know, I love you, and you know, purple heart, purple heart to you all. I mean, from the bottom of my heart. Um, and 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 I want to drill down there and 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 thank my mother for being patient, and thank my wife for being patient. You know. Um, it's just I, I think it deserves a moment of silence because it's just 
we don't, you know, every, you know, for me, every day is Mother's Day. And, yes, the alcoholic must definitely keep sober, but that ain't even scratching the surface. That, that, that you know, that ain't even scratching the surface. And I think this is what the big book is trying to trying to tell me here, that, you know what, um, if it wasn't for those patient mothers and wives um, with, you know, with, well, let me say, if it wasn't for my mother and my wife being patient, I definitely would have been dead. Definitely. And uh, they are due, they are due, they should have, they should have a mother, Mother's Day year because every day is Mother's Day. Um, if it wasn't for them, if they didn't care, if my mother didn't take nine months to carry me, we grew up poor. She could have been like, you know what? Yeah, like that. She just could have been like, yo. And then for me to come to the town and do all that I did for all these years, you know, especially with my wife, um, you know, I came to the town full of self-will and just doing what it's running, running amok doing what I want, um, utilizing my, 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 my stomach as a garbage can, um, just running around the town. And, um, you know, this part of the big book um, right here is, is, is respecting those um, that, that, has, that has been in my life directly and indirectly that I've been running, you know, making a tornado, a tsunami of their whole life. So, you know, I wanted to pay homage to to, to, to all the, the, the mothers and wives. Um, you know, you, you will not be forgotten. You will never be forgotten. And from the bottom of my heart, every mother in existence, I love you. And with that, I pass. Thanks. Thank you, Charles. Sally, you're up, and then it'll be Larry. Good morning, Monica. Good morning, a vision for you and my, all of my friends and family. Sally A. in South Jersey, recovered compulsive overeater. This is, um, for me, these paragraphs are very powerful. Um, it says here in the paragraph on page 82, second paragraph, page 82, it says here, sometimes we hear an alcoholic say that the only thing he needs to do is to keep sober. Certainly he must keep sober. And interestingly, I'm going to dip into that next paragraph for one moment at the bottom of the page, about four lines up, it says, we feel a man is unthinking when he says that sobriety is enough. And what are they saying to us here that is so important that they say it twice on this page? Whenever Bill says something twice, my ears perk up, my eyes open wide, what is he trying to say that's so important that he has to say it two times in a row, two paragraphs in a row, when he tells me that it's, that is it's enough to be sober? And this is the diet mentality that I lived in for most of my life. I thought that if I could just change all the conditions around me, if everything that was making me, that drove me to eat, would just change, then I could get well. And then I had to find out that it was I that needed to change, that it was me that needed to do the changing. I was the condition that needed to change. And what, what blows me away is that in, in my own growth and knowledge of my illness, I've come to see
see this page 42. On page 42, it says here, top paragraph, it talked about the strange mental blank spots. Well, remember, remember that when we were in the food, if you're anything like me, I was drunk most of my life. I was numb and anesthetized. So how can I possibly remember all the damage I did with my tongue, with my mouth? I mean, I could see the damage I did with the food going into my mouth, but how can I remember because of those, that, those, that blank spots, the, the memory deficits that I had, not just towards food, but for all the damage I did for other people? And this brings me to step nine on this page, the unraveling of our flaws. As we go through steps four and five and we make that list of our flaws and we see the damage done, and then we take them in steps six and seven. We bring them to a higher power. We ask them to remove them. And then we come to steps eight and nine, which is where we've, we're at. We've made a list of who we harmed. And then in step nine, we make a decision to go forward. What are we doing? We are unraveling the damage. We are unraveling the flaws. We are now taking the shirt and making it inside out so that we can finally make right what was wrong. Thanks for letting me share with that I pass. Thank you, Sally A. Larry K., you're up, and then it'll be Melissa C. Thanks, Monica. Appreciate it. Larry K., recovered compulsive reader from Chicago. So, um, you know, with, with these paragraphs, you know, it, it's what we're reminded. The big book, you know, stays focused on, on, on the recovery and this process, you know, that we go through. And this process is not about science. I always have to remind, I, I say that uh, as much for myself as for anybody, because if it were about science, then we just have to find the right technique that we can measure and quantify. And, uh, and this isn't about measuring or quantifying something. Because why? Because it's a spiritual program. That's what makes this different. You know, I used to, many times, you know, I thought, when I thought my problem did not center in my mind, but I thought my problem centered in my body. I thought the problem centered in you. I thought the problem centered in the food so that if I could just eliminate all those things and get, get greater and greater control, then my problem is solved. But that never was the case for me. And so my belief had to change. I had to begin to change my belief if I was to start to, to treat other people better and you know, and I couldn't treat anybody else better if I if I didn't love myself too. And so part of this program too is understanding it's it's uh there's so many paradoxes in this program. You know, it's it's loving yourself, but at the same time it's destruction of our ego. Our ego has to be smashed, which seems like a very, you know, loveless thing. No, it's the greatest gift. It's the greatest gift that God has given me is for my ego to be smashed. But I had to get clear that the main problem centered in my mind. I have an allergy to the body and I have an obsession of the mind. And it is the obsession of the mind that keeps leading me back to the food again and again and again. And it leads me back to tearing people up with my mouth again and again and again. And it leads me to judge others again and again and again. It will never stop. It'll never stop. That's been my experience unless we have a complete spiritual restructuring, a complete process of renewal. But once that, once that happens, and that's a process, that's a progressive process too. 
so that gets better. It always gets better. It never gets worse once you once you connect with uh, with the higher power of your own understanding. It never gets worse if you stay in that pathway. It always gets more serene, more peaceful. That's been my experience. So yeah, I treat people better today. I, I, I you know, relationships are, are have begun to repair. You know, some uh, repair very quickly, some take longer, but by the grace of God, they've, they've all gotten better. And I don't destroy, I don't do violence to my body anymore with the stuffing my face the way I used to. Because, I, because the process, the practical program of action, what it did is it enabled me to understand that the main problem centers in my mind and I have to have access to power. It's not enough to have knowledge that a power exists. I have to have access to that power because once I have access to the power through this process, then uh, all manner of living changes. Everything changes. And that's why um, I'll wrap up and say that that's why I have peace and serenity today, no matter what comes, who dies today, who, I mean, you know, what, what terrible calamity visits me today. I don't know what's going to happen today. I have no control over that. But I do know that I have a higher power that keeps me centered. And, and I can handle, I've seen it. I can handle, I can handle anything with that power. With that, I'll pass. Thanks. Thank you, Larry Kay. Melissa C., you're up. Hi, good morning. This is Melissa C., a recovered compulsive overeater from New York. And, um, you know, the, uh, as long as I'm sober, you know, as long as I'm sober, um, that, that was my diet mentality that, um, you know, if I was on a diet or I was, you know, abstinent or watching what I was eating, I was losing weight, everybody else better just bend to my way because, you know, it's all about me. It was it was the Melissa show and, um, you know, I'm on a diet. So how dare you do anything that's going to interfere with my diet? And, um, you know, as I was reading this part, um, you know, our compulsion is is different than alcoholic. So for me, you know, I read it and initially I have people in my in my life that I love a great deal who have, you know, an alcohol problem. And so, of course, I see them before I see me. <laughs> and, uh, you know, then when I stop and I really examine it further, it is me. It's not just them. You know, bless them, change me. Um, I'm an addict, too. And... Um, you know, I the, the harm I've caused, um, you know, on my family, um, on my husband. I think back, you know, when I married him, um, I was thin. I had been, um, you know, it was a period of control. And, um, and so he met me. I was a thin person, and I feel like there's a level of deceit. He really didn't, you know, I told him I had been heavy. I told him I had a bronchial food, but really didn't know it. And then, you know, when the years passed by and the weight really came on, incredible amounts of weight, you know, um, my misery held our family hostage. Um, I was so obsessed with my body, how um, I was gaining weight, that I shut myself out. And from him, from others, I was a lunatic. And anytime I embarked on a new diet, well, Everybody better just get in line with me. Don't do anything that's going to get in my way of this diet. And, you know, and that's just what 
amazing about being recovered and, and I'm not on a diet. And, you know, last night I went to a, a function um, with some neighbors, PTA dinner, and, um, you know, I was abstinent and and easily abstinent without a lot of thought. You know, I just knew what I could eat. And, um, and I realized, you know, this morning how it wasn't even – an issue. I also used to obsess what other people were going to think about what I was eating or not eating. That, again, was how huge my ego was. Nobody really cares what's on my plate. Um, you know, and and I could see, you know, when I'm abstinent and, and really recovered, um, I can hear the people around me. I can have a conversation without um, looking at what's on your plate, worrying if I'm taking enough taking too much, you know, um, but I'm present. And so, you know, being being abstinent or being sober is not enough. It's it's being recovered. It's being um, present with the people around us. And that, you know, for those of you who are wondering, does God really care? Does your higher power really care about what you're eating? Um, it seems like such a minor Time. issue in one Thank you. Uh, I'll just say, you know, anything that gets in the way of me and my fellows is a stumbling block, and of course, God cares. And uh, with that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Melissa C. And would anyone else like to comment on this paragraph? Barbara B. Dan, this is Vasa, please. Barbara, Vasa. All right, Barbara B., Vasa O., anybody else? Suji. Suji. Okay, let's go with that. Barbara, B, Boss O, and Sue G. Barbara, go ahead. Thank you. This is Barbara B, Recovered Compulsive Reader in Massachusetts. And what a wonderful um, section to read today. What a wonderful paragraph. And uh, how perfectly God guided for me in my um, recovered life. Because I get to uh, think, well, you know, that pride creeps in. Oh, yeah, I'm being so good. I'm being so wonderful. And as I look at my husband of many years and, oh, he doesn't do this and he doesn't do that. Why doesn't he do this? Why didn't he do this? I have to consciously apply the steps and I have to consciously uh, remember uh, so that he won't forget all the years that he lived. As it, as it says, he was so shockingly treated uh, as I backed out of um, going to work because I had binged and had a hangover and he plotted and he got up and he went to work day after day, year after year. Uh, when I was so um, hung over that I couldn't show up for back-to-school nights, but he went to the back-to-school nights. And um, there was a point in our marriage, and we've been married for many years, when he said to a friend who was sitting with us uh, to talk about the disturbances she saw, I mean, it's quite a disturbance when I'm hospitalized for amphetamines used for dietary purposes. That's pretty serious. Put the family, husband and four kids and everybody, parents, through that. And he said, you know, I would just leave her, but nobody would have her. What a horrible situation. Today, it's so reversed uh, because, thank you, God, you know, um, the growing, glowing health of mind and body and spirit and um, and he is suffering his stuff. Well, I say to myself, you know, he stood by me. I was one of these shockingly treating him people. I need to stand by him. So this is something I consciously pray and work for on a 
on a daily basis, and it's a great gift to look at it in the big book and hear the sharing. Thank you, and I pass. Thank you, Barbara B. Vasa O., you're up, and then it'll be Suji. Yes, thank you. Good morning, everyone. And um, Vasa, thank you, Monica, for your service. And I'm Vasa O., Recover Compulsive Oida, calling from Massachusetts. And, oh, boy, <clears throat> look back where I was 30 years ago almost. My higher power brought me into Overeaters Anonymous in 1986, and I don't know where I would be today if I was still into the food. I probably would be a very sick woman, probably even dead, you know, and I don't know where I would be emotionally or spiritually. If I remember thinking if I could just have a better control of the food, everything would be just fine, or if people did what I wanted them to do, I'd have been so much happier. And I, I never wanted to be like my mother, and I tried not to be like my mother, you know, over the years. And, uh, yes, I'm not saying that she didn't do good things, but she had this disease, and she was a miserable person. And I remember saying, I will never be like my mother while I was becoming like my mother because I was into the food. It was getting also progressive, you know. And I thank God I was brought in the program. And you know, my daughter, I sent a, my daughter sent me a beautiful card yesterday from mother from my birthday. I'll just read it quickly. It's a short one. It says, I could have never sent my mother this kind of a card. And I cried. I love you, Mom. I love you as, as my mom, the wonderful woman who has done more for me than any other person in the world. I love you as my friend. Someone who understands me, takes time to listen, and truly, truly cares about how I'm doing. I love you that you are my, you have made me a happy child, a grateful adult, and someone who will always look up to you. And I would have never been able to get a card from my children if I was not into recovery, because this is not the way I felt about my mom. And I just feel so sad because she was into the disease and I didn't even know what was wrong with her. And I, I just, I, somehow I think she prayed for me and, and, I, and I found Overeaters Anonymous. And as I said, it was the best thing that had ever happened in my life. I could be there for my children. I can be there for myself and other people today. Thank you for letting me share and I pass. Thank you, Vasa O. Suji, you're up. Good morning, Monica. Thanks for your service, and thanks everybody who shared and listened. Uh, this is Suji from suburban city of sisterly love, also brotherly love, in deference to all those who have shared. And um, I'm going to pick up on the alcoholic is like a tornado roaring his way or her way through the lives of others. Um, well, to, why just for today am I a, a trustful foodaholic picking up on that? Well, because that's, that's what I tried to do. And recently, um, it, it fits into the experience, strength, and hope of just for today. So I'll say a few words about it. That yesterday I had 
um, a brain and brainstem MRI. How gruesome sanding is that? Well, the only gruesome part is it's very loud and they didn't have earplugs because they had an, an older machine that's perfectly reliable, but you couldn't listen to music during it. So I had to kind of hum my own in my head, which I did, and I got through the thing. But why did I have this procedure? Because my husband, who has been putting up with me for the last 50 years, 48 of which we were married, uh, decided that that he had had enough of my restlessness, irritability, and discontent. And he knows of this because he knows personally that he can be like that too. So he said, we have to do something. And he sent me back to my shrink who said, just in case there's something really wrong that could kill you, let's look at this. So I consented bitterly and angrily. But I got over that, and by the time I had it, I was actually grateful. I was grateful that somebody, my husband, and my kids, I might add, loved me enough to care that I do that and that I survive. They they want me in the family, whether I'm restless, irritable, and discontent and like a tornado, or whether I can be quiet, which I sometimes can. And I am just so grateful that that. I'm appreciated for who I am, and I really see that as a higher power intervention. It has it has little to do with me or anybody else. It's just how we can cooperate together, which is what we do in this meeting, which is why I love to be here with you all. So thank you for letting me share, and I pass. Thank you, Suji. And let's move on to the next paragraph. And Kathleen W., would you read, please, The Alcoholic? It's like a tornado. This is Kathleen W. from Arizona. Can you hear me okay? Sure can. Okay. The alcoholic is like a tornado roaring his way through the lives of others. Hearts are broken. Sweet relationships are dead. Affections have been uprooted. Selfish and inconsiderate habits have kept the home in turmoil. We feel a man is unthinking when when he says that sobriety is enough. He is like the farmer who came out of the cyclone cellar to find his home ruined. To his wife, he remarked, Don't see anything the matter here, Miss Ma. Ain't it grand the wind stopped blowing? And uh, I just wanted to focus on selfish and inconsiderate habits have kept a home in turmoil. And, you know, it's, um, you know, and then it says we feel a man is unthinking when he says that sobriety is enough. So me just being abstinent is not enough. I have to work this um, program and the, the steps that are so clearly laid out in this big book. And thank God we have that, we have this big book to follow these directions um, you know, even though I am recovered, I am not perfect. And um, and I did mess up yesterday with my family. You know, my family gives me, because I'm with them the most, I get the opportunity every day to work this program. And I can choose, um, when I when my character defects come out, I can choose to turn to the directions in this book. And... Um, and, you know, do a 10-step, make amends, talk to a fellow about my feelings, and, you know, what's the alternative? Binging, 
you know, waking up with a horrific food hangover, um, causing turmoil in my family, you know, numbing out with the food, anesthetizing with the food. I don't want to do that anymore. Um, I hit my bottom when I was 19, and I'm 50 now, and I don't want to do that. And so I'm just so grateful, you know, that I have, that we have this big book as directions, because Otherwise, I I don't know how to live my life, but this book teaches me how to do that. And um, with that, I'll pass. Thank you. Thank you, Kathleen W. And who would like to comment on this paragraph? Rakefit. This is Janice. Rakefit. Janice. Janice M. Leah. Leah. Janice in Colorado. Sharon H. Sarah okay. W. All right. Uh, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Okay. I've got Rakafit, Janice M, Leah M, Sharon H, Sarah W. Okay. Uh, Rakafit, you're first, and then Janice. Thank you, Monica. Um, my name is Rakafit Z. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater in California, and I just want to say that I felt that I was a tornado going through my life when I look back at it. At the time, it didn't seem that way, but I can see where I was getting worse and worse and worse, picking up speed, picking up momentum, you know, going faster. I was gaining weight faster. I was eating more all the time. And the more I ate, the bigger I got. And the bigger I got, the worse I got with relationships to other people, especially with my, with my ex-husband. It's just, it was a cycle. It was really a cycle. I got, I ate more, I got bigger, I was meaner, and because I felt so bad about myself, I would eat more. All that was just a cycle that I went through constantly. And until I could see that, until I could see that, just being abstinent never, never was enough for me. I, I couldn't stay abstinent. I had to do the hard work to get down to why I am the way I am and what did I do? Where was my part in it? And um, for my ex-husband, when I came into program, I, I was so, so obsessed with disliking him. Everything about him I disliked. There was nothing good about him, nothing at all. And my whole body was full of toxic feelings and thoughts about him. But when I started working the program and with sponsors and, and pointing out things, you know, it came to me that he's not so bad. You know, what he did was not that outrageous. And then slowly, slowly, I, I felt more and more of that, that I, you know, um, he's not that bad. He did some good things, and these are the good things. And then slowly, I got to the point where I could see my part in our marriage. I could see my part and where I was wrong. And after that, things just tumbled, you know, things just progressed. I could see my part. I could see where he was a good person. He never meant me any harm. And... I could, you know, I could go on with life. The toxic waste just flushed out of me. I don't feel anything toxic about my ex-husband now. Nothing at all. And I'm appreciative of him and what kind of person he was and he is. And thank you for letting me share and I pass. Thank you, Rakefit. And Janice M., you're up and then it'll be Leah. Yes, okay. Thank you, um, Monica. This is Janice M. from Massachusetts. I'm a grateful Recovered compulsive overeater. What an analogy, huh? If you knew, you're going to go, oh, no, my eating wasn't like a tornado. I can't even see that. Well, we're at step nine, and we've gone through steps four, five, six, seven, and eight. 
And by this time, we have unra- I have I unraveled who I really was, <laughs> and what a what a what what a sight. But anyway, the compulsive overeater is like a tornado roaring his way. A tornado is a devastating happening, and one's happening now. I think in Oklahoma, it's devastating. It wipes out homes. It wipes out families, uh, residences, right, businesses. And, uh, you know, that's what my actions did to my family and to others because I roared like a lion. What is roar? Roar is like a lion to me, you know, the mouth, the the action, you know, come in. They they don't know what what I'm going to be, what I'm going to do, how I'm going to act because, see, this is the power of my disease. Now, hearts were broken, yes relationships became dead. You know, what was really the storm? The storm was my selfishness and my inconsideration of others. I only considered my myself. I only considered myself and whatever I did. And that's the storm. The only thing that's different about a tornado and my home and what I did was tornado You know, the family goes and they go together and they go into another shelter. My husband and my son, they couldn't get out. They didn't go anywhere. They had to stay here with me in this devastation, you know, and uh, they couldn't get away from it. And I think that's really the destruction. Um, You know, we didn't just build another home. We had to build it through through my actions, and then things were changed. So when we say that, you know, my abstinence was enough, absolutely not. You know, it's the other part of me, the real part that was devastating and tore up. But let me tell you, there's a lot of hope because um, it, it, it's, it's, it, it's repaired. I've, we've mended the damage, and that's what this step does for us once we see it. The devastation is mended through the help and the strength and the direction of a higher power. And with that, I pass. Thanks. Thank you, Janice M. Leah M., you're up, and then it'll be Sharon H. Hi, Monica. Thanks so much for your service. Good morning, everybody. It's Leah M., recovered compulsive overeater. The alcoholic is like a tornado roaring his way through the lives of others. Hearts are broken. Sweet relationships are dead. Affections uprooted. We feel a man is unthinking when he says that sobriety is enough. You know, recovery here, those that are recovered are responding and saying that sobriety is not enough for people like us. And that was a lesson, you know, I had to learn. Certainly I had uh, periods of abstinence, um, but the greater aspect of my disease resided, you know, in my mind, a, a spiritual malady that I had, this this self-will run riot, and it was evident whether, um, you know, I was abstinent or whether I was, uh, you know, in the bags and boxes. I was a creator of chaos. You know, abstinence is physical. It didn't attend 
to the unmanageability, to the self-will run riot. And I was in conflict with everybody and everything. And there were food stains all over my relationships. And certainly there's no statute of limitations on a broken heart. You know, there was human wreckage. Very kindly reading today, you know, as uh, tornadoes are ripping through Oklahoma and Texas, uh, for example, where there is wreckage, there's debris, there's, you know, uh, destruction all around and certainly I had that in my family relationships in my friendships there were heavy winds that I had created through uh, my negativity through my critical tongue through being emotionally detached from people through my anger through my sullen uh, depressed nature at that time withdrawing and being isolated and and at times rageful it was like uh you never knew what to expect from me. It was like walking through a landmine. Thank God the big book teaches me that recovery is far more than the mere elimination of my binge foods. This is about a renewed life, a restored life. This is about being re- rehabilitated through the process of these steps because I could be abstinent but not be recovered. But you can't be recovered and not abstinent, meaning that there is a goal, an aim, an objective, and that is to be transformed. The secret of these 12 steps and principles, which are spiritual in nature, not physical, spiritual in nature, is that indeed it's possible to effectuate such a dramatic change in personality, in character, and values. And that these steps and these principles have reoriented me and keep me from drowning in self-absorption and focusing my intention on the fact that I have a purpose. I have a purpose which transcends my personal desires, my physical desires. It's a spiritual desire. And most people don't know that we continue on this path of growth for our whole lives. It's not just about the initial sobriety and overcoming the glaring and damaging destruction in our life. This is about step 10, continuing to grow through the examination of my behavior and my attitude. Step 11, continue to grow through refining my spiritual growth. And step 12, continuing to grow through giving to others and carrying this message of recovery. And with that, I pass. Thanks so much. Thank you, Leah. And Sharon H., you're up, and then it'll be Sarah W. Good morning, Monica. This is Sharon H. in Colorado, and all I can say is ditto, ditto to everything that Leah just shared. But again, this paragraph just lays it out so clearly. The alcoholic is like a tornado roaring his way through the lives of others. Hearts are broken. Sweet relationships are dead. Affections have been uprooted. Selfish and inconsiderate habits have kept the home in turmoil. We feel a man is unthinking when he says sobriety is enough. No, it is not. This is a twofold disease, a disease of the mind, and that is what will send me back over and over again to the anger, the critical tongue, the judgmental attitude, uh, living in chaos and causing so much chaos myself. And I didn't see any of this um, in myself. I saw in others, but not in me. Today I see it for what it is. In Colorado, we're going into the season where we too will experience tornadoes. So I have seen firsthand the devastation that comes from a tornado that roars roars through, uh, just devastating everything it touches. And uh, so I'm just so grateful today that by God's grace and allowing me to work through these steps, I was able to see the truth about myself 
and in, and then um, God does two things as far as I'm concerned through the process of this, these steps. Four through nine, the first three steps we learn that we can't ever change without a spiritual malady, a spiritual solution. So we must find a power greater than ourselves that can do this in and through us. We must consent to that. Then the steps four through nine are what clear out that debris from the past and give us the opportunity to unlearn all those selfish and inconsiderate habits that had kept my family roaring through marriages, stepchildren, you name it. it that's the way it was. And then, then we are given the grace and the courage to carry that forward one day at a time through steps 10, 11, and 12 where we are given the ability to see the truth about ourselves. We have the toolkit, that spiritual toolkit that gives us exactly what we need to get this written out so that we can continue to make a daily amends and not let things build up to the level and the devastation of a tornado. Continue to develop that relationship with God by His grace and by his power at work in and through us. And then we give freely to others what's been so freely given to us. What an amazing, amazing gift we are given. So with that, I just uh, uh, welcome everybody out on the line. Keep coming back. And, and again, remember, this is step eight and nine. And uh, it's the process that we go through from the beginning of this book that gets us to this point. And so uh, don't become discouraged or think, oh my gosh, what are they talking about? It will make sense in time. Uh, and with that, I pass. Thanks, Monica. Thank you, Sharon H. And Sarah W., you're up. Good morning, Monica. Thank you for your service. I see that we're almost out of time. My name is Sarah W., Grateful Recovered Compulsive Reader. The only thing I wanted to say is that um, it is a design for living. And sometimes for me, I was so busy in recovery that I was not attentive to my issues in my home. And today what I know is that that is where I really need to exert my program the most. But I cannot put everything outside in the world and not take care of things in my home. And that can be the most painful place to do it because I have created a lot of wreckage. And so today what I can say is that that the lack of that brought me back into relapse. And what today I know is that I can stay recovered if I continue to assert my efforts not only out in the world helping others, but helping those to heal that are in my home by keeping recovered myself and by being a loving, kind, and tolerant person. And with that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Sarah W. And with that, we've come we've come to the end of our time here this morning, and I'd like to thank everyone who has shared, and we will now close with a reading from the big book on page 164, followed by the serenity prayer. And Charles H., would you read for us, please, from A Vision for You? I would be honored. Can you hear me? You sure can. Okay. Our book is meant to be subjective, suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day.
for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously, you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right, and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then.